there once was a certain man and he had terrific news to share. So he decided he was gonna host a neighborhood cookout and he wanted to invite everyone so he could share this really great news. So the man goes to the gym and he meets his buddy and he says, hey, I'm gonna throw this neighborhood cookout and I want you to be there because I wanna share the good news. Could you come and help prepare the food? And the man says, well, actually, I'm on a particular diet right now and I only eat certain kinds of foods. So the man calls up his friend and he says, hey, I'm having this neighborhood grill out. I want everyone there because I've got some really great news I wanna share with you guys. Can you come and help prepare the food? And the friend says, well, that depends. Who are you inviting? Because I only eat with people who don't offend me. So the man calls his neighbor and he says, I'm hosting a neighborhood grill out. I want everyone there. I wanna share some really great news with you all. Can you come and help prepare the food? And his neighbor says, um, what kind of music you playing? Because I only go to parties where I know they're gonna play the music I like. Well, as you can imagine, the man's feeling pretty discouraged at this point. But he gets an email from his coworker right then. He emails his coworker and he says, I'm having this awesome neighborhood grill out. I want you guys to come because I've got some really great news, but I need some help preparing the food. Can you come and help me? And his coworker, he says, between work and my family and the kids' schedule, I just don't have time to commit to that. I can't come. So the man prepares the food. He prepares the table anyway. And he walks up and down the streets of his neighborhood and he finds a homeless man. He finds a neighbor in need and he says, I've got a table prepared. Will you come and share with me? And the man agrees and they eat and they drink together and he shares the good news. And after the meal, he, he thanks him so much for coming and sharing with him. And he says, why did you come when I invited you? I invited my friends and one guy didn't wanna come because he doesn't like the food I serve. And another guy didn't wanna come because he doesn't like the music I play. And another friend didn't wanna come because he didn't like the people I was inviting. And still another friend, he just said he was too busy. And the homeless man without pausing says, I was hungry for bread, but you, what you gave me was food for my soul. And I was thirsty for water, but what you shared was water for my life. It was like drinking in life itself. And the man was thrilled and he said, thank you so much for coming. But one more thing before you go, who can we invite to eat and drink with us? Can we give a clap to the Lord this morning for his goodness? Praise him today. He is good and holy. Lord God, you are good. You are all our all in all. You are everything. So Lord Jesus, may we learn from your word today. 
May you speak through me, God. Empower us to receive what you have today. Thank you for every room, every person in this room. Thank you for all that you're going to do in us and through us today. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Thank you for coming out on a uh, cold Iowa day. It's starting to feel like winter. I'm not excited about that, but I am excited to be in the warmth of this room, surrounded by warm people who love Christ and his goodness. And so welcome to church, especially if you're new with us. We are so glad that you're here. If you um, have watched many movies, many of you maybe have a favorite movie about high school, whether it's your generation and you love Grease, right? Grease Lightning, or maybe you love, uh, maybe Ferris Bueller's Day Off in the 80s, or Clueless in the 90s. Uh, for me, I love Mean Girls. Anyone? Mean Girls? Okay. Uh, but in all of those movies, what you inevitably see is you see them highlight a very common trope regarding cliques in high school, right? It's the jocks versus the nerds or the preps versus the burnouts or whatever you want to call it, and it evolves over time. But no movie, uh, I think, highlights this trope, highlights the cliques in high school better than 1985's The Breakfast Club. Anyone a fan? Yeah, John Hughes? Just me. All right, but it's a great one. It highlights this, and there's a quote in the beginning of this movie that kind of depicts the different prejudices and stereotypes that they put on one another. And the quote says, you see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions, right? We have the criminal, the athlete, the basket case, the princess in the brain, all kind of sharing their struggles with one another and eventually coming to know each other quite well. It's a story about breaking down sort of the stereotypes and prejudices, the preconceived notions that we have about one another, the barriers that we put up for no good reason at all. And we watch movies like this in high school and we say, oh yeah, that was back then, I used to do that, right? And I think the reality though is that even though we may not judge people anymore based on their hairstyle or their extracurricular activities. I think instead what happens for many people is that as time goes on, we move away from those sort of petty things, those very obvious things, and eventually we move on to start to put up barriers with people based on all sorts of other things. Maybe it's skin color or socioeconomic background. Generational differences, right? The boomers versus the millennials, politics, career, you name it. What we do, I think, is we actually just get better at hiding our prejudice and our stereotypes with one another. We learn how to navigate that. And even in the, in the church, we got to be careful because what if we don't even realize that we're putting up barriers? What if we have these walls that we've made putting up barriers from those who may want to come to the table of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about those different prejudices and stereotypes, those barriers that we put up and how to break them down. We're going to be in, this, in the book of John chapter 3, the Gospel of John, uh, towards the back of your Bible if you have them. Go ahead and Google it or put it on your phone if you'd like. Do follow along with us today. John chapter 3, we're going to go real quick, a kind of uh, flyby of John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, two different stories that we want to contrast this morning. And the two different stories are regarding Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Two very different characters in John chapter 3, then John chapter 4. So you guys ready to dive in? We've got a long way to go. It's going to be fast and furious today, okay? Uh, John 3, this is the story of Nicodemus here. Here's what it says about him. 
Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. You see, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader at the time. And the Pharisees, what they would do is they would stack extra laws on top of the people, preventing them from coming and knowing God. Jesus had some of his harshest words against people like Nicodemus. He's a religious ruler. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. If you've ever heard of the phrase born again Christian, this is where it comes from. Jesus is getting at something here, but Nicodemus doesn't understand. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. That's very astute, Nicodemus. You're right. You can't do that. Verse 5, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Nicodemus, you don't get to heaven just by following the laws of your religious order, the laws you have stacked on top of people. No, you must be born again. Something that is impossible by the flesh, impossible for man, God must do in you. It is radical. The laws cannot save you. There must be water cleansing and baptism, and there must be spirit. Verse 9, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. And what does Jesus say? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Jesus is saying, I have, I have seen it. I have seen God. I know God, and yet you have not seen it yourself, Nicodemus. He is rebuking one of Israel's teacher. You see, the Pharisees represented a group of people who prevented prodigals from coming home back to God. The Pharisees represented a group of people who claimed righteousness from God, even though they didn't really know God and didn't really see the kingdom, and then refused the people who had. John the Baptist, Jesus himself. Jesus referred to them as blind guides. Imagine that picture that Jesus is putting forth. It's an oxymoron. They're blind guides. In other words, they are leading people where they haven't gone first. They are leading without seeing. This is a dangerous place to be. And this is where we see that the Pharisees are hypocrites. And not just any old hypocrites like everyone is, but religious hypocrites. The most dangerous kind of them all. But like a good teacher, Jesus shows patience and he re-educates Nicodemus. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Famous verse, for God so 
loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Who can have eternal life? Everyone can have eternal life. What we see in this story with Nicodemus is that Jesus makes and has time for the religious hypocrite and shares with him God's plan for salvation. Even though this religious leader had probably gotten it wrong so many times, even though this religious leader had likely prevented people from coming home to God because of all their rules and regulations, Jesus still comes, he takes time, and he re-educates. He reaches out to Nicodemus in the middle of this night. You have anyone in your life who thinks they're above everyone else? Anyone who thinks they have it all together and maybe lords it over others? Some of you are like, yeah, my, my boss at work. Okay, no, okay. But all of us, we have, we've encountered those people who think they have it all and they prevent others. They keep people out from good things. That's Nicodemus, the religious leader. Flip over one chapter to the right to John chapter 4. There's another story. And John, there's no chapter delineations when this was originally written. And so John would have put this story with Nicodemus smack dab right next to this story that we're about to read about the Samaritan, the woman at the well. John chapter 4, let's go to verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. This is Jesus. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. This is midday. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So here we see that Jesus is making time for this woman who is by herself at noon, at midday during this time. There's a couple different barriers that Jesus is automatically breaking down when it comes to his interaction with this woman. First and foremost, there are geographical boundaries that Jesus is breaking through. In the first century, Jews had such a disdain for the Sumerians. They considered them half-breeds. Their, their ethnic pool was not clean. It was not good. They avoided them at all costs. This is modern-day racism true and th- through, through and all in all. And so Jesus, what they would do, well, not Jesus, but what religious people would do in the Jewish at the time, they would actually sometimes go around Samaria through Perea. They wouldn't even travel through the lands to avoid them. Not only that, But another barrier that Jesus broke down was the fact that he was speaking to a woman. A single rabbi at this time speaking to a woman by herself would not have been okay. And what we see is that Jesus is breaking down barriers. Jesus crossed geographical lines. He crossed ethnic lines. And now he's crossing gender boundaries, all for the sake of reaching this woman. That's the context not reading into it, read through this story. That is the the significance of this story. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who put who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty, and I have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now having is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So here the story becomes a little bit clearer as to why this woman was coming out in the heat of midday noon. This woman had been through many circumstances in her life, she was coming at the hottest part of the day, the day where most people would have been indoors or doing work under the shade. She is out under the sun. This is why many cultures, for instance, uh, in Mexico, for instance, they take siestas. We once went on a missions trip down to Mexico to, to build a house, and after we would eat our lunch, we would go and take a quick nap. We would let the food digest. And then once the sun had kind of gone a little bit down, we'd come back out and work till sundown. This happens in many cultures across the world. And so for her to be out there by herself during midday is significant. And we see the context here. And it has to do with her previous husbands and the man she is now with. Whether the reason for her being in so many marriages is because of you know, her own faults or the faults of the men she was with. This was a patriarchal society. It wasn't too difficult to ditch women at this time. They didn't have a whole lot of rights. It's very likely some of the men she was married to could have passed away. There's all sorts of different reasons, whether it was her own, um, her own doing or whether it was the circumstances she was in at the time. Regardless, the point is, is that she was alone. The reason she was alone at the well is because she was likely scorned and shamed and condemned by the community around her, the other women in her village. She's by herself, and yet Jesus intentionally goes through Samaria to have this talk with her. Verse 23, Jesus says, Yet a time is coming, and now has Come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, don't miss this. I the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to this woman who had been scorned and shamed and isolated by her community. It's an amazing picture. And what we see in the story of this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, is that we see that Jesus has grace for the outsider with a broken past. 
Jesus takes time for this woman who's been broken and been through so much in her life. Do you know anyone in your life who's been broken, who has a past? Someone who's easily scorned or shamed in your own life? I want to look at these two different stories, the stories of Nicodemus and the story of the woman at the well. And I want to just put them side by side for a moment because I think the gospel writer John is trying to show us something as we contrast these two. Nicodemus is found in John chapter 3, whereas the woman right next to it. Again, there were no chapter delineations back when this was written. Nicodemus was a Jew and the Samaritan woman was a Samaritan. On the one hand, Nicodemus was a respected man, respected in his community, and yet right next to it, we see that the Samaritan woman was shunned by herself, isolated. Even the time when they meet, right, this is illustrating something, that Nicodemus went under the concealment of night, and the Samaritan woman met in midday when the sun was highest. With the Pharisees and the religious leaders at this time, the words that Jesus had some of the harshest words with, we see that their sinfulness was actually concealed by their religious behavior. But for the woman, her brokenness was exposed for everyone to see by a condemning community. And finally, the religious leaders represented those who were in, and the woman at the well represents those who are out. Two radically different people, radically different positions, each with their own struggles. And John puts them side by side for us to examine. And what we see in each one of these stories is we see that Jesus intentionally broke down barriers to bring life to both the worst saint and the worst sinner. Jesus goes after them both. He doesn't just show partiality, but rather he goes to rescue both of them in their lostness. Regardless of the labels, regardless of their version of sin, at their time and their place, Jesus sought to rescue them, just like he seeks to rescue us. Like us, both needed water cleansing and life-giving water within them. Like us, both needed the spirit of the living God in order to worship and be empowered to live for the things of God. Both needed Jesus, just like we need Jesus. The fact of the matter, church, is that each and every one of us have put up barriers with other people, people we don't like, people that frustrate us, people that we don't have patience towards. We all have prejudices, and we all have preferences towards them. Whether your prejudices are towards those who are blatant religious hypocrites or those with a messy past, people like to condemn towards those with different backgrounds nationalities or platforms or those who have different communities that we shun because we don't approve of their behavior and i want to ask you a question which one of those two do you have a harder time showing grace to the religious hypocrites like nicodemus or the broken samaritan woman which one would you have a harder time sitting with meeting with and talking to I know the answer for me. Can you imagine the amount of patience Jesus would have had to have with both of them? Can you imagine the grace that he showed? What barriers, church, might you need to break down and invite others to the table? Is it fear? 
age, gender, politics, career, what is it? Is God asking you to break down barriers for those who think they're better than you or those who you're prone to shun beneath you? Are you willing to even give up your church preferences if it meant someone coming to the table, coming in these doors, coming to hear the gospel? In the book, Deeply Formed Life, Rich Velotis has these three steps for breaking down barriers, cultural barriers with uh, others and getting to know them for the sake of the gospel. The first and foremost, really quick, first one is leave your world. Leave your world. Let go of the familiar. Take the risk and step out. The second step is enter into someone else's world. Practice active, humble, and curious listening. And finally, allow yourself to be formed by others. Open up to their worldviews while holding on to your own and yourself in Christ. Jesus left his world. He left the kingdom to come to us. Even though we were Gentiles, we were not Jewish people. Even though we were on the outside at one point, Jesus came from his kingdom into our world to minister to us. We were once those who were on the outside. And Jesus entered into our space to rescue us. And because in these two stories, because Jesus was willing to go after each one, What we see is that Nicodemus would eventually go on to defend Jesus in front of his fellow Pharisees in public. Not under the concealment of night, but in public. And he would also aid in the burial of Jesus. The Samaritan woman would go on to tell everyone about Jesus in her town, and many from that town would believe that he is the Messiah because of her testimony. There is no telling what unexpected fruit can grow when we impartially open up and give invitation to the table. There's no telling how God can use that. Because Galatians 3.28 says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? You are all one. Jesus. To go back and quote the Breakfast Club at the very end of the movie, you see us as you want to see us in the simplest terms and by the most convenient definitions, but what we found is that each of us, in each of one of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case and a princess and a criminal. Translation for us today, each of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen? Each of us needs the love of Jesus Christ. Each of us have a broken past in need of healing. And Christ is the only one to do it. And praise God, he took time for us. So the question we want to leave you with is, who do you need to invite to the table? What barriers do you need to break down? In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together, a meal that Jesus came and to introduce a new covenant with his disciples, a group of people who represented all sorts of broken people. And our prayer and our hope today is that we would deeply consider those we've put up barriers with and that we'd reach them for the sake of the gospel. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for the love that you've given us. Thank you for, uh, God, just caring for us enough to come down and rescuing us. We love you so much.